Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast with Joe and Sean. This is Joe. He is Sean. Sean, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing absolutely wonderful. I'm sort of enjoying our uh, meta text that the uh, past two uh, episodes of the podcast have been moved back a day because we're really just going with the theme of movies in general at this point. Yes, exactly right. We're trying to be one with the movie industry, uh, so we thought this was the way to go. But we're discussing maybe this will be a permanent uh, thing. We're not sure yet. We're, we'll still work that out. Um, it just seems like life has gotten a little busier for us. So uh, we'll figure all that out. But we do have a lot of movie news to get to tonight. Uh, so let's start off, though, with what we've been watching, because I think we've, we've, we cross over a little bit here, right? Two, two movies we cross over with. That's pretty solid. Um, let me start off with Kajillionaire, because that is one that I had seen last month. Uh, it is coming out on Friday in theaters. Um, it is a very, very, very fascinating movie with Evan Rachel Wood. Um, and it's basically two parents, uh, who raise their 26 year old daughter to be, um, to, to be a swindler, to, to steal, to lie, to cheat and all that. Um, it, it's trying to be clever and trying to say something. I'm not quite sure what it's trying to say. Um, I was not the biggest fan of it, but uh, I just said to to you before we got on here, I can't wait for you uh, to see it because I want your your feedback. It's it's definitely a fascinating movie, but I did not care for it. I was so bored during it. I got to say, Evan Rachel Wood looked like she was uh, doing some interesting choices in the trailer, um, uh, unrecognizable and just very strange. And that's pretty much what you get from her the entire movie. There's never, I felt like there was never any character development. Um, even when like they tried to push it a little bit, I, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't for me. So the devil all the time is the Netflix movie that came out last week, which was, is packed with just about, you know, the who's who of Hollywood today. Um, and I actually really liked this one. I, I was a little at first, like wondering what it was trying to say, what it was trying to do. And it doesn't really, there's nothing earth shattering about it. It doesn't really take you on this journey and surprise you in any way. But um, I think what I really enjoyed about it was Tom Holland. So let's talk real quick. You have Tom Holland, you have Riley Keough, you have uh, Robert Pattinson, Sebastian Stan. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? Everyone and their mother. Um, um, uh, Bill Sarsgaard. Yeah. Alexander Skarsgård. Um, just so many. Uh, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting her name. Um, anyway, we have a good, a good solid cast. It'll hit me in a minute. Good solid cast, and it. Uh, I think Tom Holland was the most surprising for me in this because he, you know, he's a young kid and going from the happy-go-lucky type Spider-Man that we've seen him as, uh, this is a more serious role, and I, I think he did a good job with it. This was. I knew Holland had the goods because even as happy-go-lucky Spider-Man, he is the one that kind of catapulted the end of uh, Infinity War with what became a meme of a performance saying, I don't feel so good, but that was one of the most intense acting jobs. And so you could tell already that he's got the goods um, with this. He is far more subtle um, without any spoilers going on. There is a moment where he has delivered news about his um, sister and um, it, he like the, he holds back this anger and this sadness um, that really like was one of the things where he's keeping his whole performance under wraps. Yeah. And then you have Pattinson on the other side who is saying not one bit of me is going to be kept under wraps. I am going 
full tilt. I am gaining weight for this, which is just something that really worked. Um, and he is just going full blown into this and it works. It's one of the few times where I look at it and it really does work with what you're seeing on screen. Are we, I, I tweeted this the other day, but are we going to look back in a few years or maybe 10 years or whatever and say that Robert Pattinson was one of the best actors of our generation? Very close to it already. And it's interesting that right now he's about to embark on, he had, had an iconic performance that everyone's offset in Twilight. When I say iconic, pardon me, I say like, you know, he's a part of an IP. Um, and then he's going to be a part of another IP in Batman. And looking at both of those is just that have we had someone that's this big of an art of a performer, which he basically is. I mean, you don't star in a movie like The Lighthouse and you're not considered an auteur. Like, that's just it. You, you've gotten the card. Um, and I, I just think, like, with that many high-stakes pop culture um, performances, in yeah. as well as this, I remember when Remember Me came out, which, you know, say what you want about that film, but it was very interesting because that was right after Twilight. And so people either didn't take it seriously or a lot of, you know, Twilight fangirls went to see it. And all of a sudden, everyone was stunned and everyone was shocked at what he's able to do. And so since then, he just said, all right, I got my paycheck from Twilight. I'm now going to be in whatever I want. He did a one for you and one for me, except it was just a bunch of for me's after his one for you. And I think that he's just keeping this. He's going to bring something interesting to Batman. I think that, you know, Pattinson is definitely not going away. He's a fun performer to watch, too. That's the main thing. You think about all the different roles he's had. So, of course, Twilight being one of the earlier ones or the early one. Um, and I wonder if going back to Remember Me now would be a different experience than coming right off of Twilight. But, you know, all the different roles he's had from Good Time to The Lighthouse to Tenet, where he's like more action oriented to this, where he's, um, you know, quote unquote, or I guess, spoiler alert, uh, devilish individual, um, yeah. <laughs> vile individual. Um, but I, I just I'm really enjoying everything that he's delivering on. It's he's just a good actor. He's a good actor. And in general, the, this movie did just like highlight some other great performances. I think that the movie itself, the structure of it was a little bit rocky. I understood what it was trying to do with the different stories. I think some of those stories slowed to a halt sometimes. Like I root for Sebastian Stan, go Sebastian Stan. I didn't really care about his character at all. And I just, you know, oh, he's running for sheriff again and he's bad. I don't know. It just really interests me that much. And so I think that was part of the problem and the narration in this. And I understand narration and voiceover is considered a cardinal sin anyway, like if you have voiceover. But my goodness, I mean, you would have an amazing performance from Tom Holland and then the uh, the narrator would come on like, Tom Holland was somewhat upset about <laughs> this situation. I was like, come on. See, there was something comforting about that for me. And I, I don't know why. It, it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, a Christmas story. Um, in a way, and that type of narration, or even some of the, I guess I'm sticking with the holiday theme here, some of the holiday films, right, that always have that narration. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. It was a, uh, it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, I, I was, I guess I was most impressed that they were able to balance all of the big stars they had. The name I was forgetting was Eliza Scanlon, um, and then we also had, oh, I put Bill Skarsgård in there, and it's Alexander Skarsgård, wasn't it, or was it Bill? Oh, no, it's Bill. It was Bill. Yeah. Um, and then Jason Clark as well is in there. So it's it's an action-packed film, and it all ends up uh, intertwining at the end. So I was I was happy with that. 
The other one that I watched this past week, and I think you and I are going to have a discussion about that is, or this is Antebellum. So Antebellum was one that had not been getting the best reviews and I decided I wasn't going to watch it. And then one night I just said, Hey, what the hell? I actually enjoyed Antebellum. Um, it's a very thin movie and I, I don't mean thin in terms of what it's trying to tackle, but it's thin in terms of the premise. I think the, um, uh, the twist that is teased slash revealed in the trailers is not a huge twist. It, I said in my review that it tries being a cere- cerebral thriller um, when it's really not. It's kind of, uh, or it was built as a cerebral thriller, I should say. And it really isn't. It's kind of um, like M. Night Shyamalan watered down. Um, and But I enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it. Janelle Monet's performance was, I think, really good. Um, and my favorite by far in the entire film was Gabby Sidibe because she was absolutely hilarious and having a blast in that role after having some real shitty roles since, uh, precious. So uh, I don't know. I, I, now the, the bad for it. And I think you would agree with this is that it doesn't really say much, you know what it's trying to get at, but it doesn't get there. Um, you know, it's talking about white supremacy and racism and discrimination, uh, today in modern times, but there's this whole core group of individuals that you want to know more about the, the villains, so to speak, that you don't really get, um, get any details on any background on. There's nothing there. And the main villain, uh, played by her name is slipping my mind again. Oh, um, um, um ap- ap- I'm sorry. Uh, Reno. No, not Gene Reno. Jenna Malone. Wow. Whoa. Jenna Malone. That's who I'm talking about. Wait, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, I thought Jenna Maroney from uh, 30 Rock. I, I, um, it was worse. I'm imagining now Gene Reno in all those antebellum dresses. Um, and that looks terrifying. But should, oh, my should we God. just call it quits right here? Should we just call and it quits? It was Sean Renault, too. I mispronounced the name that I screwed up completely. What is going on with me? Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, she, I mean, she's an interesting actress, um, in my eyes, uh, always has been, but you don't really get much from her here. You don't see her much. And that accent that she's using is terrible. Absolutely terrible. This movie, um, wanted to be a Jordan Peele film. And that's unfair. That's unfair of me to say. I recognize that this social horror level, you know, the social horror that they have is a little bit of an unfair um, situation. That being said, when you are doing something of a social horror, you need to sort of make the proper connections. And like we both agreed on, this one did not make those connections. The premise was out of sight awesome. And, you know, there was the obvious, like, there's the, you know, second act twist, which is in the trailer, so it's not really a twist. Um, I still feel like if they didn't put that in there, this would have been a very, very interestingly received film. Um, But then there is, of course, like a a second twist uh, towards it. So there's kind of two twists in this. And I think that the problem is, is that the villains of it, um, not only they become these one-dimensional, absolute, complete, horrible people racists, which... Okay, they're bad, and that's pretty much it. Where you know, in fact, we want to deal with some complexity because there's there are while there are some horrible people racist, there's also a lot of racism that a lot of horrible people take advantage of. It's very different from what these characters were, and so 
right at the end, I'm just like, oh, they're awful. And then it turns into the whole situation similar to Green Book where it's like, you know, well, I'm not like that guy, so I'm pretty good. And it's a white man. I'm like, that's how I look at it. It's like, well, I'm not those, uh, you know, slave owners, so I'm good. And that's the part that really annoys me is that I want to question myself. And this one didn't make me question myself. Um, I think that uh, when you look at how this premise was revealed, it gets a little problematic with a few things that I can't get into because of spoilers right now. But it's just, you know, something where it's just like it there's there's parts of it that just bothered me. Really little nitpicky technicalities that bother me. And um, it just makes it a bit of an issue for me. Um, I think Janelle Monet was amazing. And, you know, I think that this played is something that could have been a lot better. It's almost disappointing what uh, what could have been. And I think a lot of people had built it up. So we're, you know, seeing what they got being as simplistic in a way as it was, uh, or is, I should say, is probably disappointing to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I, just pushing back a little bit, I think, you know, there's not every movie has to force you to look at yourself and all that. I think dra certain dramas, especially when you're getting to social issues, are better um, poised to do that. What I enjoyed with this is it kind of took this idea that we're all like, you know, we all are fighting against in United, the United States right now. Or, and I say we all by like you and I, um, <clears throat> but a lot of people. But um, <laughs> it, it, it took it and was just like, you know, let's just run with this real quick and give it a good, um, good outcome. Right. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything, yeah. but there's one scene where Janelle Monet does something. Um, to kind of take power back. And I was like, oh, man, all right. We're going there, huh? I'm into it. Let's do it. But, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting film. I, I But I did enjoy it. I think, you know, for what it was, it was a fine movie. I should say, I love a good, simple horror movie. I really do. And, you know, I mean, ready or not, film is trying to kill it. Awesome. Like, I love that. And so, you know, this this had that simple horror movie. I think when you drift into these issues, you know, I think it's a little bit tricky to do just the simple, you know, oh, these issues, I'll just say it, race. When you're dealing into race, I think it's a little bit tricky to just sort of do the simple horror movie thing. As much as that part of it, that aspect, I did love. I'd love to read, and this is me thinking out loud, I would love to read some reviews from people of color. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, you and I are sitting here as two, uh, you know, white men. And I wonder what the reaction would be or was or is um, from people of color with this film and the way that the topic of race and was handled. Because um, it does dive into some pretty serious issues or parts of the issue, I should say. But yeah. talk to us about All In. You saw All In. So All In, I believe you saw it last week. Um, what a movie. Just absolutely great documentary about voting rights. Um, you uh, described it uh, both on and off air as uh, anger inducing. And <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree it is anger inducing. But what I do like about this documentary is that it just handles it very calmly. It goes through all the facts. It gets perspectives from historians, professors. It talks about what's happening now. It talks about the issues that are going on now. It goes into those. And that is one of the things that I really like about it. You know, the social dilemma was the documentary I watched on Netflix last week and that yelled at me and it didn't make me feel good. Um, <laughs> that like, you know, I, I picked up my phone during the documentary and Skylar Gassando, like, you know, turned over to me and said, Damn! and, uh, you know, it was very upsetting. 
Um, but this one was one where it just said, like, you know, hey, this is the information you need. This is what you need to do. Okay. The, you know, there is a problem. This is how we're going to solve the problem. Very important in a documentary sometimes. And that was just something that was rather welcome for me. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I agree with you. And we should mention that All In, the Fight for Democracy, is available on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, so you can stream that today. They did make it available for free to stream yesterday um, on multiple channels or multiple event, uh, uh, means or modes th um, for National Voter Registration Day. So hopefully we'll see that again as we move closer to the election. But how about Unpregnant? Unpregnant was a great surprise because um, this year, earlier this year, uh, just when the pandemic was hitting, um, I watched Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, I still consider it probably one of the best films of the year, which was about uh, two girls uh, driving a far amount away um, to uh, for one of them to have an abortion. And it was a very, very intense, dramatic movie. This is the comedic version of that. And so when I watched that trailer, I said, oh, this couldn't go well. And I, you know, I was just, I was also very curious. And this was surprisingly great. Um, this was a, you know, obviously you can dub this abortion comedy. Um, and having it be dubbed that always gets a little bit tricky. This handled the central theme of the movie with actually quite a bit of grace, a lot of seriousness, a lot of heaviness. And then they had jokes for the road trip on the way there. This was something that like, you know, I, I know that there's going to be a side of the country that will never even see this movie. And I understand and I get it. That's their side. I personally think this one does welcome, you know, like a little bit of a conversation. There's a moment where it, there's someone that she talks to with an opposing view and the two of them talk for a little while. And it's actually very moving. Um, I think that that's something about it. Now, yes, it's very moving. It's also hysterical. There are a few jokes that definitely do make fun of that certain type of the country that will never see this part. And that's okay. Okay. Right on. I still laugh. They're still clever. Okay. Um, but the most of it uh, centered around the two leads, which I'm going to butcher the names, but uh, Haley Lou Richardson and Bar uh, Barbie Ferreira. That's not exactly correct, I believe, but it's uh, somewhat close. She is amazing on Euphoria as a very intense. Uh, oh, yeah, has yeah. yeah. And uh, both of them have unbelievable chemistry i genuinely think they must have been friends before this because they are you know there's almost an improvisational style between them it's just like the two of them are extremely funny um it, it was really something that i enjoyed a lot i'd say the one thing i had an issue with was that there were you know it's a road trip but comedy movie and i saw a lot of the writing on the wall sometimes i was like oh this person's gonna be that oh that's gonna happen later and you know i guess that might be the movie critic in me or it might just be that you know it was a little bit predictable in some parts yeah you know it's funny i knew you were gonna watch that because we had talked about it in the past and i saw a post today i think it was on slash film that said that it was one of the or it is one of the hidden gems of 2020 um so that's on hbo max correct uh yes I definitely want to check that out. Well, hey, we are uh, we're starting to cross over more with what we're watching, which is great because I think for a while there, since we were watching so much, we were just all like, you know, both of us were in different areas with what we were watching, going on different uh, benders. But um, so it makes for a good conversation. Well, and we have some stuff in the works for future films that we may watch together. 
Uh, that may for the fans of this podcast, you may know that there'd be a certain marathon in the works. <laughs> we will uh, we'll talk about that moving forward. But now let's start talking about the news this week because we did have quite a bit, and we'll start off with, of course, some comic book news because you can't get away from comic book movie news. Uh, and the first is actually uh, starting with a TV show that will play into the films. Um, Tatiana Maslany, who was is best known for her role in Orphan Black, incredible role in Orphan Black, has been cast as She Hulk in Disney's Disney Plus's She Hulk series. Now, this is one of the characters in addition to Moon Knight uh, and a couple of others that will be crossing over into the MCU films uh, down the road, but will start off as Disney Plus as a Disney Plus series. So, She Hulk in the comics is the cousin of Bruce Banner. Um, she receives a blood transfusion from him, and that leads to her becoming uh, She-Hulk. But, I, hey, I'm all about this casting. I was kind of wondering who they were going to tap for this. Uh, and I think this is pretty inspired uh, in terms of the selection. So, really, I only discovered uh, Tatiana Maslany this year um, with uh, Perry Mason, the first season of it. And she has an absolutely wonderful role as a uh, preacher or a preachress or however you say it. Um, and it's just unbelievable. The way she just like is obviously playing to the back row. Um, you know, you'll see her like, you know, giving a giant sermon. And then like later on backstage, she'll have an IV in her. and She'll be like, you know, sitting down because she just like did, <laughs> did all this stuff. So it's just this fascinating character that she played. And I look at it and yeah, playing for the back row. Let's put her in She-Hulk. This is perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Let's talk real quick, too, about the Batman. Um, this is kind of a quick note, but the Batman has resumed production. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, there were rumors that it was, well, they weren't rumors. The production was shut down because someone had tested positive for COVID. We found out a day later that it was actually Robert Pattinson, the lead. Um, what's fascinating about this story, and or maybe kind of funny, is that... Uh, the day this was announced, like that morning, I had seen pictures of him like locking lips with someone on a bench. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> guess we're doing fine. And then they were like, it's back in production. Pattinson's cleared to return. So um, that's good news for that film. It's, you know, they were only three days back into production uh, after the COVID, original COVID shutdown when this all happened. So hopefully that movie makes it out unscathed. It seems like this movie, even um, when the teaser came out and, you know, even when there was the patents and diagnosis, um, not to belittle or um, lower down the COVID uh, you know, issues, but it did seem like something where this was going to be going headstrong and going to face maybe a couple well, like a week or two or a month. It seemed like they really had everything under control with this sort of uh, with this sort of situation. And. It seems that that's evident. Um, I will wonder, um, and you just said Pattinson is cleared to return. I was wondering if it was just going to be everyone else filming. And if this is going to be a situation much like Burton's Batman's where, you know, the main character is Gotham, if you will. And like, mm -hmm. you know, Batman is like rarely in it. And there's going to be a lot based on the casting of all the different villains um, and looking at everything there. Is this going to be something that really is centered around like a larger like Gotham set piece? Um Perhaps not now that I know he's coming back, but that was one of my uh, thoughts that was jumping into mine. What's kind of interesting with a film like this is that, you know, clearly they don't need him there all the time when they are uh, filming like the action scenes. Maybe the stuntman is stepping in. So, you know, the, the positive side of having a, uh, a masked uh, hero is that you can, you can get away with that for a little bit. So, um, 
but hopefully we can continue on and see uh, you know him in all of his glory really delivering on the role because i think that uh he'll probably be doing some of his own stunts and stuff uh and that could be really fun to see it just another level of uh robert pattinson after tenet you know getting into the the brooding gothic looking uh, i'm looking at a picture right now where he's got like clearly he took the mask off and yeah. he's got like the eyeliner and stuff. this is the emo haircut this is the emo haircut. It cracks me up every time. Bruce Wayne. It's like Bruce Wayne never had an emo haircut. Come on. Hey, I'm off. I don't know if it's an emo haircut or it's just bad, like hat head. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Cowboy. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll roll with that. So we have one other story for uh, the comic book section that broke a little bit earlier. Um, nothing major, but it is kind of surprising. So, of course, we're getting the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League next year. It's going to be in four parts on HBO Max. When it was first confirmed that this was happening, we found out that there was a pretty uh, hefty budget being given to Snyder to finish the film. But at that point, they had said there were no reshoots. Slash Film has a story up today um, that is pretty fascinating. It says that Snyder is going to bring back Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, and Ray Fisher uh, to shoot additional Justice League scenes next month. So that's kind of fascinating to me for multiple reasons. One, they said they didn't need to. So I wonder what this is entailing. Um, two completely going off on a tangent here and maybe uh creating some rumors i wonder if this is to set anything up for the future given you know what they're doing with the multiverse and everything now three ray fisher is involved and he's currently involved in the ongoing dispute with wb regarding the toxic workplace under uh uh joss whedon couldn't remember his name names are not my thing tonight apparently um and then four, Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa are not confirmed as the Flash and Aquaman, um, respectively, to be involved in the reshoots. But, hey, good for them. Um, pretty cool to see Ben Affleck back again. Uh, of course, he signed on to reprise the role in the Flash movie. But uh, cool to see that confirmed. I think uh, Jason Momoa is not going to be there. I, I read the same story. I think Jason Momoa is not going to be there because he is uh... – starting his uh, voice work as Frosty the Snowman. Um, and so he will not be able to make it. No, I, I, I love, I, you know, I've, I've started, you started to sway me on this amazing, you know, Snyder cut happening. I'm a little bit disappointed because, you know, everyone said like, you know, Snyder's got the cut. All he's got to do is put it together. Snyder's got everything. It's all ready. And then it's like, really, really? Now you got to bring these guys back for something. Maybe they, maybe he saw something you know he didn't like out of one of their performances, and they got to bring them back there. I'm like, okay, I mean, this is something where I'm going with tentative optimism. Um, I'm fascinated in general, um, but it was one of those things where I just like you know they were all hyping up that Snyder has this whole <laughs> thing in his closet ready to go, and it's like, oh nope, now we're filming more. But I think your theory about possibly expanding this larger universe might be correct. Hey, they could be teeing it up for the future. They could be like something else for the future. They could be trying to wrap up like a loose end because again, this was supposed to be part of a two part film, Justice League part one and two. Maybe they are, you know, wrapping up some loose ends to give it a more satisfying ending. Um, I don't know, but either way, I'm into it. More, more content of the people I like. So <laughs> sticking with Disney a little bit. Um, and this is not Disney. We're switching gears, I should say. Switching gears to Disney. Um, and also films that have debuted on streaming services. There's the connection. There's the transition. Uh, Mulan, which debuted on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago to, I would say, lukewarm reaction, uh, has been an absolute hit for Disney Plus, reportedly. The numbers that they're showing... 
um, or reporting is that it's brought in at least 60, $260 million in profits. And at the time that this was reported, I believe that was more than Tenet had brought in um, worldwide. And as a reminder, this was a film that you had to pay $19.99 to get in addition to the monthly fee for Disney+. Plus. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting. I originally on GuideToMovies.com asked if this was a sign of things to come for other Disney releases. We're going to talk a little later about recent announcements about films being delayed, um, which makes me think that maybe that's not going to be happening. But um, hey, uh, and by, it wasn't $19.99. It was $29.99. Let me clarify there. Um, but yeah, thoughts on this. This one's big um, because... Well, I'd say it's actually not terribly big. I, I would look at this and argue that um, we are underestimating quarantine um, and the fact that we really still can't do much uh, outdoors at a restaurant and, yeah, movie theaters. Um, but there's not a hell of a lot that's still able to be done, um, especially if you have younger kids. And therefore, a lot of people are still buying this. I mean, Disney Plus is the salvation for some of these parents. And so they definitely already have it. And they're not just getting it for Mulan. And so then they just said $29.99. They're just like, oh, that's terrible. I hate them. Freaking Disney. Here's your $29.99. And then they would just say, okay, watch this. Um, I don't know how young this can go, considering this was like, you know, pretty much a samurai action movie. Um, but uh, I wonder, like, if that's what it is, where it comes to like, you know, hey, you know, movie theaters will close now because Trolls World Tour did well. That did well because, like, the, the parents bought it 17 times for these these kids that were bouncing off the walls. And I think that that's when we think like a really good movie does well. We could talk about, you know, I remember when Netflix released their highest rated films that they or most watched films and extraction was at the top. That was in April and no, nothing against extraction, but like April was the absolute worst of quarantine. Mark was like, Hey, we've got this. April was like, Oh my God, we're gonna <laughs> die. And so I think that like, you know, so at that point, at that exactly, it was that bad. Now I think Mulan is one of those things where it's just, we're diving into, um, you know, it's not a second wave, but it may be a second wave of boredom, if you will, trademark. Um, that's the, one of the things I look at with that. And I don't know. Well, it's it's what I think about with it because you know this is a Disney live action remake so those are always making money and this one would especially make money because everyone's bored including kids therefore parents are terrified. Yeah, and it's it's Disney too, right? You're going to have the Disney name behind it. It's going to drive a certain amount of uh, revenue right off the bat. Um, so hey, we'll see. A movie that did not drive a lot of revenue was Life of the Party, a film that came out back in 2018. Um, which I remember seeing in theaters. I, it was not great, but it was kind of like Melissa McCarthy slapstick fine. Um, but what's interesting about this film is that it is now the center of a lawsuit that was filed in California where the plaintiff, Eva Kowalski, uh, or Eva Kowalski, is suing Melissa McCarthy, her husband, the Gersh Agency, as well as others, for ripping off her treatment and script for a film that she called College Mom. So essentially, she is claiming that she pitched the same story to the Gersh Agency in 2018, uh, or whenever, and that this was then the film that ended up on screen with Life of the Party. Interesting wrinkle in this is that uh, Life of the Party was written by uh, Melissa McCarthy and her husband, who uh, Ben Falcone, I believe is his name. Um, but it's a $10 million lawsuit and they also want all of the materials destroyed from this film, <laughs> um, which I don't think you're going to be able to find Blu-rays of it or anything right now. So, uh, I mean, that, that part's easy, right? Um, 
but you know, given that it didn't make much money, I think it was like 60 million box office, maybe, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Um, just given. <laughs> I'm just imagining feds uh, heading into the Walmart bargain bins of the $5 bargain bins and trying to grab all the life of the party copies. Cause that's all you're getting from this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's weird though, because it's, it's strange. I think about this and, uh, a movie about an uptight parent that, you know, ends up spending time with the kid at college. I think there's a lot of lawsuits that can occur from there because that story has been used quite a bit. Let's really talk. Do we want to go for it? Back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, you know, where are those people lining up for this lawsuit? I think this is um, a ridiculous and slightly, I mean, you sort of see it with the fact that they're asking for all copies to be destroyed. That tells you right there that these people are just like, all right, so that's going to be our offer. We're going to probably get like you know a couple, of, like maybe uh, like we're going to get a nice little settlement and then we can walk away knowing that that's not the case. <laughs> that they stole the idea, knowing for a fact. This is a very, and I'm giving all of the legal advice to the attorney right here. Um, but, you know, that's one thing. It's like, it just feels a little bit silly. It's like when The Dark Knight came out and it became really popular. And then uh, the town of Batman tried to sue the movie. Um, this was a real thing. And it's like Batman was around before that, but, uh, you know, say la vie. Yeah, you know, I would be very interested to see what the actual claim is specifically. So if it is like specific character names or uh, different arcs within it, it depends how specific it gets. Um, I am going to try to find the complaint online later if I can, um, because uh, as the, the nerdy lawyer, I do want to uh, read into that. Uh, I think it could be pretty fascinating. But, you know, it... It, like you said, this isn't a wild new concept. Um, so it's, it has to be more specific and get into some pretty uh, remarkable similarities to even have a chance of moving forward and not being defeated right off the bat. So, um, and then of course, like to get into some legal issues there, uh, the question will be like, if they, if she sold the idea to them, if, you know, if there was an agreement that they could move forward with the idea without her, if she just should have been credited or, you know, whatever that looks like. So we shall see there. But um, in the area of Netflix, who is snatching up movies left and right, uh, they just actually grabbed another series called The Hunt for Atlantis. So you may remember last week we talked about a series that they had a book series that they had uh, grabbed for adaptation. It's a Rick Reardon series, which uh, focuses on two siblings who are trying to save their dad after he unleashed uh, Egyptian gods to the modern world. And we talked about how we were kind of into that. This one, I think, sounds fun as well. So Netflix has acquired the rights for The Hunt for Atlantis. It's an adaptation of an Andy McDermott book. And the story is one in a series of quests for mythological locations. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. One interesting note is that Matt Reeves, uh, of the Batman is producing. Um, but what do you think about this? It's, it's yet another potential franchise for Netflix who has been hunting for franchises for as long as they can. This one is the more interesting one for me. Um, because the last one was for a book, a book that is, you know, I mean, this is, these are both for books, pardon me, but last one was for like probably some YA fiction, um, and that is something that could garner some followers and, you know, vice versa, then fans of the book can become fans of the movie, fans of the movie can become fans of the book. With this one, it doesn't seem like he could have the same pull. 
Um, and this is also because I don't know anything about books, but um, I love the idea of Matt Reeves uh, behind it, obviously, because Matt Reeves, you know, we're, we're, we're right now in an era where Matt Reeves can do no wrong. And I love eras where directors or producers can do no wrong because then it's just, like, oh, everything's going to be great. And then eventually something isn't. But right now I'm willing to have that lovely blanket of trust wrapped over me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm pretty fascinated by it, but I kind of feel like this has been done before in a way. Um, thinking about the National Treasure movies, uh, this kind of reminds me of those right away, right? Like you're That's not exactly mythological, but you're trying to find, you know, the Holy Grail or something. Um, I'm going to steal the Constitution. We're going to kidnap the president of the United States. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> Nicholas Cage, by the way, just spot folks at home. <laughs> if, you, if you were wondering, Nicholas Cage is out of the studio, and we're actually going to. Oh, well, uh, yeah, we're going to get to him in a little bit. Um, okay. So you you sit over there, Nicholas Cage, you jerk. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to two quick stories. Uh, these are both in the realm of animation, um, which seem to hit kind of all around the same time. So the first is that we are getting Hotel Transylvania four for all three of you that asked for that. Uh, but this will be coming out next year, 2021, August 6th. Uh, Selena Gomez will reprise her role as well as Adam Sandler. Um, but one of the interesting pieces here is that Selena Gomez will be an executive producer this time around. And she was just an executive producer for the Broken Hearts Gallery. So kind of interesting that she seems to be getting uh, behind the camera and having more involvement in the development of the film. Um, are you a fan of the Hotel Transylvania series? You know, I have not heard of the uh, HT3, um, but, uh, or, um, excuse me, I've heard of them, but uh, I have not been down with them. Um, I have not, uh, you know, I've not watched them. Uh, however, I've heard actually, like, you know, f as far as animated kids' movies, they're kind of okay. Like, they're kind of solid. Um, I, you know, I don't know how much I can really go off of that, but... Um, I love the idea of Selena Gomez as a producer. I genuinely do. I think this is someone that, you know, is has worked her way into the game. Um, and I think that, you know, we have someone who is sort of going to answer for the youth. Is this a good or a bad thing? We'll see. But it's something that could actually draw in a different type of audience. Um, and I think this is something we, we talk about, you know, before with, you know, the diversity level, if we go there and, you know, just someone that, you know, can actually like learn something, get their foot in the door and possibly create or be in charge of other people creating. I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second and say, that do it. Everyone was pissed off that like Tyler Perry got some sort of like arts Emmy and stuff like that. And, you know, I understand. I, I don't think I've ever watched a Tyler Perry film, so I can't say that they're bad. But just by looking at him, they don't look too great. But what he has done as a producer with all of this, like the talent that he's drawn in from diverse backgrounds, I think that that is something that's fun. So when I hear about a producer, you know, hey, no one really knows what a producer does. They know that they like are in charge of kind of making the movies. They're in charge of kind they of produce. They produce, they produce the movies. Um, it's just uh, when I, when I like, you know, just like the last one, when I hear Matt Reeves is producing, yeah, it's not going to be his vision under this, but he is going to be in charge of who's going to be involved. And so I think something like this, where, you know, I'm going back into the hotel Transylvania universe or the Transylvania universe. Um, and like, it just seems like something that just feels right in general. Like I, I don't, I don't think I'll see a hotel Transylvania for, I don't think I will, you know, shell out the money for hotel Transylvania for, but I love the idea of uh, Selena Gomez getting into the producing game. 
Well, and you know what's actually interesting? I need to correct myself a little bit. I forgot that she was an executive producer of uh, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. Um, so, you know, definitely graduating into films now, which is really good. But um, I, lo I love 13 Reasons Why. I know it's a problematic-ass show. Um, I know it's extremely problematic. I just, I re I'm a big fan of hitting problems head on and not ignoring that they are out there. I get both sides of that, and I like welcome that argument. Maybe we'll, you and I will discuss that because uh, coming from a teacher uh, who is in there dealing with students every day, I'm sure that you have a different perspective uh, that is probably more valuable. Um, We're at but, uh, forty, so I'll just educatingly say, "Fuck that show." <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> well said. <laughs> um, that seems like a great time to talk about the Boss Baby sequel. <laughs> Boy, the, the, those segues you have just keep getting better. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, 2017's DreamWorks animation hit Boss Baby, which I did not like, um, has added Jeff Goldblum, Ariana Greenblatt, and Eva Longoria to the cast who join previously announced stars James Marsden and Amy Sedaris, who are going to be in the uh, cast alongside the returning voices of Alec Baldwin, Jimmy Kimmel, and Lisa Goodrow. This movie will be called something that I have not put in here, <laughs> so I don't remember what it is. You can see I really care about this story, um, but I think it's Boss Baby 2. <laughs> I mean... Uh, it's it's unbelievable that you you know couldn't remember that catchy title. Um, I was wondering that myself. What the sequel of this would be? Uh, the it's promotion. called the Boss Baby Family Business. God, that's worse. Just put it Boss Baby Two. <laughs> oh, that's worse. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, why'd you put that on here? What is going on? I don't on? know. There's a couple other stories I didn't put on here that I wish I would have. Now that I'm. Uh, Dealing like with I the can... Boss Baby and, you know, okay, so let me try to get my take on this. So I haven't seen the Boss Baby either yet, but, uh, you know, um, I think Selena Gomez is going to be a great producer. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that uh, for Hotel Transylvania 4. So I know the Boss Baby has become a meme of its own um, where, you know, Acad wait, we should actually say it right. Academy Award nominated Boss Baby um, for Best Animated Feature. Um, we should, you know, we should acknowledge that that is a part of the lexicon. Um, and, you know, I truly feel that, you know, maybe bringing in a decent cast. No, I'm kidding. Let's go to the next thing. <laughs> well, listen, to redeem this segment a little bit, let me throw in the news about Elf. Do you know? Did you hear about this Elf sequel business? I did not hear about an Elf sequel. Right, because it's not happening. So here's basically oh. what we just learned. James Kahn, who, sta who starred as Buddy's dad in what 2003's Will Ferrell fronted Elf movie, which is beloved by so many people. Um, and it is a good movie. It's a really solid Christmas movie. My family has this tradition on Christmas Eve of watching uh, A Christmas Story when it's on like 24-7 on TBS or whatever. Uh, but now we've kind of, I, I introduced Elf into it as much as I can. Um because there's just some great lines in there, like, hey, buddy, hope you find your dad. <laughs> Elf is the truly the last Christmas classic, which is kind of scary to sort of say, but it did sort of like pigeonhole its way in there very nicely. Like, it came in and people were like, oh, this is Will Ferrell. This was Will Ferrell at the peak of I'm sick of Will Ferrell because he was, <laughs> he did like 10 movies in one year. I think the stat is almost legitimate. And, um, you know, everyone <laughs> kind of like, you know, brushed it aside, kind of liked it. But then like people just sort of welcomed it and then realized, oh, this is actually a pretty solid Christmas movie. This works very 
well. And then it just sort of grew into, and it's the last true modern Christmas classic. It's an adorable film. I mean, I, it is hilarious too. There's so many laugh out loud parts, like not to get on a tangent, but I remember when someone's calling a cab and they're like waving their hand and he just goes up and goes, hi, like, <laughs> I lose it every time. Um, but you know, it, what's interesting is James Kahn was talking to someone recently and he uh, basically shared that there were hopes for a sequel uh, and then he was even pumped to possibly be part of a um, a franchise. And he was like, oh, my kids are going to get to do some great things. This is going to be fun. Um, but Will Ferrell and director John Favreau, you know, John Favreau, who has gone on to become huge um, in terms of the Lion King and Iron Man and his, you know, all of his roles within the MCU and so on and so forth. Um, they did not get along. And that apparently is what really has hindered any potential talk of a sequel, um, even though it was rumored for so many years. So it was Will Ferrell and John Favreau didn't, that didn't get along. Yep, that, that actually kind of makes that doctor's office scene a little bit better. Truly, when <laughs> yeah. John Favreau is in there, and like because he is kind of pissed at him, and I sort of love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, and that's definitely. I guess I'd look at this in a weird light, right? Like I am happy that they didn't just push through with one because that is something that we would have seen happen in the nineties for sure is if a movie made enough money, the studio would have just greenlit a sequel for the hell of it. Um, but I think, you know, this was the right move, not pushing forward with a different actor or different director or whatnot. And I'm sure that because the film made so much money um, or is so beloved that it was, it's probably John Favreau's choice whether or not to move forward with it. Um, or has first right of refusal, or however that's set up. Um, so hey, we're we're not getting enough too anytime soon. But I, it will be funny if like ten years down the road, they're like they they make amends and uh, Elf Two comes out when Buddy's like in a wheelchair or something. I'm very much okay with doing a sequel. Honestly, I think yeah. that you know keep this pristine, keep this lovely. Um, you know, John Favreau is not known to remake any sort of movies at all. Jungle Book, Lion King. But, you know, maybe he'll make an animated elf. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. Well, OK, so we in a little of a huge story or big story or top story this week, what we want to do uh, is talk about some of the movies that are moving their dates. We've talked about this every week, and it seems like each and every week we're getting more and more. Um, we had a few this week, and then today uh, Disney kind of um, dumped a lot of changes on us. So let's just talk through them a little bit. Two of them are interesting in that they are animated films. So we're we're very much in the animated realm here. Um, we've had a lot of animated stories today. The first is a Croods sequel. Uh, were you a fan of Croods when it, the Croods when it came out? My dad loves it. I did not actually see the Croods. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it either, or even if, if I did, I wasn't like thrilled by it, but it, it has a good following. I don't know why so many people love it. I think it's part of that like Shrek type humor where it, it walks the line well. Well, it's the um, DreamWorks it, sort of thing where it's just like, you know, like, like you know, check out this, and then we're going <laughs> to pump it up a notch, just like a fairy tale. Jay. Fairy tale, pump it up a notch. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right there. Um, we found out that instead of uh coming out in december this year it actually moved up and it's going to be released on november 25th 2020 um emma stone nicholas cage and ryan reynolds are returning we skipped the story i just realized with nicholas cage we'll get back to that one um 
so they're returning. And what's fascinating about that release date is that is, of course, the Thanksgiving window um, here in the States. And Pixar Soul is also scheduled for that date as of now. Although we did talk last week or the week before about the potential for that to move. However, when we get to the Disney news uh, of that we found out today, um, we haven't heard anything about Soul as of this moment. So The Croods, A New Age, will be coming out in November. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talked about, um, I think last week when, uh, I can't remember the movie, but a movie got moved, uh, you know, like just back one month. And it's mm -hmm. like, what's the point of moving uh, moving a movie back one month? I mean, what is the point of that? And then, like, you know, the universe said, oh, hold my beer. Here is what I'm going to show you now. A movie being up one month in the middle of a pandemic. That means that, you know, if you just left it there, that's one thing. But this is the studio announcing this movie's really bad. We really hate this movie. We're going to drive it further into the pandemic so that definitely no one, no one was going to see it in December. But now to drive it further into the pandemic into November. What is actually happening with that kind of announcement? It doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, oh, yeah, no, Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving during a pandemic where families aren't going to be able to see each other and throw turkey from a freaking car. And then we're just going to say, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, cruise. Well, let's go to Cruise. Not only that, but you're putting it against another animated film, and not only any animated film, but a Disney Pixar film that's getting award, you know, talk around it. Same buzz. Same <laughs> buzz. Um, another animated film that's coming out, which I actually think looks hilarious, Connected, uh, kind of like a family road trip, taking the daughter to um, to college, but everyone's connected on their iPads and phones, and I think aliens invade as would happen. Um, but that is from Lord and Miller which is also pretty exciting. It was originally scheduled for October 23rd, 2020. I've seen conflicting reports here. One saying that it's moving to 2021, but others more recently saying that it might just get pushed back into December or something. Um, it kind of sounds like studios are waiting to see where some of the, you know, some things, some of the blocks fall, so to speak. Um, and then also the ongoing questions around, will there be a second wave of coronavirus here? um what that's going to look like but have you seen the preview for connected so this is very interesting because i saw the preview for connected and i was not happy about connected and everyone else is talking to me about how connected is going to be great i have no idea what they're talking about then you just said the magic words right there lord and miller and so now this is going to be the greatest movie of 2020 <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's like that that's those people are the masters of an animated movie and absolutely I'm on board to see it now. I, I thought that like this was just something where it's just like these kids and their phones, the movie. And that sort of bothered me a little bit. It was just one of those things where it's just like, you know, let's like, you know, put down our phones for five minutes and like all of their heads explode. And I'm like, all right, enough. Yeah, we're all addicted to our phones, but take it easy. But yeah. now stop yelling at me <laughs> once again. Yes. The social dilemma, the Netflix documentary turned on just now in the other room and started yelling at me. <laughs> but I think that it was. I, I think that it actually could be interesting now that I know Lord and Miller are behind it. But um, it, it is fascinating that a lot of stuff is going to 2021. Yeah, and we're going to talk about a few more of them in just a few minutes. Um, but one other release that we just found out about is Hulu, which acquired Sarah Paulson's Run, um, which I'm actually really excited about. Just announced uh, yesterday, I believe it is, that that will debut on the streaming service on November 20th. Um, so little while to go, but I'm um, looking forward to that. So, so I love is, Sarah Paulson. This is a Hulu horror, right? 
it is yeah. but it originally was going to theaters hulu grabbed it it's about you know a mother and daughter uh strange relationship where the mother has kept the daughter erased her in like total isolation um you know quarantine so to speak and uh the daughter i guess starts pushing back and discovers some secrets so i'm into it uh, sarah paulson playing crazy is always fun on american horror story so let's see it here hulu loves their horror too that's the big thing right there they're doing well with it they're doing very well with it um so i'm gonna run through a list real quick today we found out that disney uh has pushed back a number of movies whether that's from walt disney studios uh marvel studios um uh 20th century studios i believe that's what they called it now right they just removed fox mm -hmm. um so here's what we got Death of the Nile, which was going to come out on October 23rd, 2020, is now scheduled for December 18th, 2020. Black Widow. Let's let's push Marvel for a second. We'll we'll talk about the other ones. Deep Water, uh, originally scheduled for November 13th, 2020, is now scheduled for August 13th, 2021. West Side Story, which was originally scheduled for this December, is being pushed back to next December 2021, which is the surprising one to me. Um, but two positives is that The Empty Man, uh, which was scheduled for December 4th, 2020, is now coming out October 23rd. So it's taking Death on the Nile's uh, original release date, um, which if they're, if they're moving it back because they don't think people are going to be there, I feel bad for the filmmakers and actors and empty, The Empty Man. They're like, yeah, we'll just put dump that one there. Um, and then The King's Man, which has been moved around nonstop. Uh, has been moved up uh, two weeks from February 26, 2021 to February 12, 2021, which is pretty much in line with when it was supposed to come out this past February. Now, on the Marvel side of things, of course, when one Marvel film gets moved, that affects all of them. Um, but what we know right now is that Black Widow, which was originally scheduled for November 6th of this year, is going to come out in May of next year, May 7th, 2021, which is pretty, um, that's a pretty lengthy delay. Um, I guess what that confirms based on this news is that we are not getting it dumped on Disney plus like we thought we would. Uh, so, Hey, that that's a good thing, I guess uh, for theaters. Uh, but that also pushes back the Eternals, which was originally scheduled for February 12th, 2021 is now scheduled for November 5th, 2021. So that's a full year after it was originally scheduled to come out. And that also pushes Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings back um, from May 7th, 2021. That's actually going to come out July 9th, 2021 now. So that's in the middle of Black Widow and Eternals. Lots of moves, um, but I guess it's kind of disappointing given that Black Widow was probably going to be the um, the next big one to come out. Um, you know, Black Widow, No Time to Die, I guess they were the two blockbusters that theaters were banking on. But what does this mean for theaters? I'm sorry, Joe. I was on my phone. Could you repeat that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at this, and uh, what does that mean for theaters? It means that when uh, you know things start to calm down in a longer time than we thought, people will go back to theaters because they desperately want to do something, and they desperately want to go to see movies in theaters. But what else does that mean for theaters is that 2020 is not the year for theaters. Um, it is, you know, theaters are open, but people saw what happened with Tenet and they didn't like it. Or excuse me, people. Studios saw what happened to Tenet. And, they're not people. <laughs> well, I mean, some members of the Supreme Court would disagree. Um, but it would, like, I look at that and I say, 
okay um you know it didn't really make the same amount of money because you know the theaters are open and some people want to go to the theaters but not everybody does and you know you've been to the theaters a few times and you have stated that they had a lot of great safe precautions i'm still too scared and there was a few times where i got really freaking close to going to the theater and eventually i may cave and go to one in a hazmat suit but i um <laughs> It is one of those things where I think that just theaters for 2020 and for probably a lot of 2021 are just going to be obsolete. And what really makes it interesting, and this is the one thing based on one of the stories we already talked about, is with Black Widow. And Black Widow, uh, you know, they decided to, like, push it back in theaters instead of, as you put it, a dump on Disney+. Plus. Now, I would say that, you know, they could do the $29.99 thing. Now... There's two problems with that. Either they thought, hey, Mulan didn't do so hot, which according to our story, Mulan did hot. So, you know, that's not the problem. <laughs> the problem might be, you know, they don't have faith in the movie. I don't know if that's true. That's a theory. Um, I, a, a problem might be that uh, it's a woman superhero in the lead. So, you know, that's going to already get like a lot of one star reviews on IMDb before the film's released. How did that happen? Um, and I just wonder, like, if that was their issue there and they want to get this into theaters instead. Um, I, I look at the other ones and I just see a lot of movies he's playing it cool and moving them back. And it just seems like the right move. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen in a little while. It's going to be a vaccine. We've been told, Hey, a vaccine is cool, but you know, put the mask on still. And really the mask will, as we say here, wear your damn mask, but like the mask is almost more effective than a vaccine. Um, I think both can be effective. I think this is going to be something where until we hear the doctors say it's cool to go to a movie theater, I don't think it's cool to go to a movie theater. And oh, that this is not on you. Like, you know, you you went to one. I still may go to one with like, you know, with the masks on and everything like that. And you take all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it is something where like the general public will see this and they'll say, you know, yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm really doing well. <laughs> like the general public will see this and they'll say, like, I don't think movie theaters are safe yet based on what I've been hearing, you know, on the news. And I think that studios are responding to that. Um, now, you know, what does that mean for theaters in the future forever? Well, theaters were having trouble before the pandemic happened. Um, you know, they over, their, their prices were rather large and people just weren't going to the theater for things um, as they used to because we're in an age of digital where Netflix was happening, where you could rent them online. That is now becoming a more intense reality. Um, I think until we find out what's going to happen when we can either rent a movie or see it in theaters in a what can be considered a safe setting, I don't think we'll ever know what really could happen. Like what really could be, um, you know, what would win. Um, a part of me says, I don't want to be on my couch watching movies. I don't. I want to be in a theater watching movies. I desperately want to go back to a theater watching movies. But until it's safe, and but also not a lot of people share the same sentiment sentiment is me my best friend hasn't been to a movie theater in like eight years he watches everything yeah. like, and, and he's got a and he's got a kick-ass home theater setup so you know i don't even blame him but you know it's just one of those things where how do other people feel between cost between it being practically an errand to go there and now between the safety and all of those things are going to be huge factors in the movie theater business to come i think you know i've seen you know a movie theater close nearby me I still got one, you know, the other way that hasn't opened yet from COVID, actually. Like, they still have not opened. Um, and then, you know, one a couple of towns over. 
Um, I think that some won't survive this. I think you'll have to travel a little bit farther to see theater, like, you know, movie theaters. And maybe movie theaters will sprout up again after this, like, you know, I mean, like five or 10 years after this ends. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm wondering why I'm getting a lot of feedback in this microphone. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, what I'm thinking is uh, that one, we've talked a lot about how the, experience of a movie theater is unrivaled in that you're going to surround sound and certain films are made for the big screen and all that stuff. So that could, um, I think that's going to help theaters when they are able to bring in um, some of these bigger blockbusters, these event films that are going to get people in the seats post pandemic, of course. Um, but I guess my, overall concern is that we know amc was in trouble earlier this summer and they have since restructured their debt and secured some funding i think that's going to keep them afloat um they said should this continue to next year and as we know it's probably going to um but i wonder about other theater chains and what this is going to do to them and especially the locals um and the smaller chains um or the smaller you know theaters i think about in lancaster pennsylvania where i used to live that there were um, two or three local theaters, um, two that were Penn Cinema, I believe they only have two. Um, and then there's another like little artsy theater that has a restaurant attached and all that stuff. But I wonder, you know, how they're going to survive through all this. Um, it's it's just kind of disheartening. Even trying, you know, I, like you said, I've been to the movie theater a few times and I've been fine with it. Um, I've been looking for films to go back and see. The interesting quote unquote struggle, and I guess, you know, this is, people will laugh at this, but I, you know, now that I'm getting, I get some screeners ahead of times. I see the movies ahead of time. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to go see it in theaters unless I, you know, it's an action packed film that I really want to see. Um, so there's really, you know, with a, a limited selection as it is, um, there's nothing in theaters for me to see right now. And I'm kind of like jonesing. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about uh, some films that are coming out this weekend and some re-releases that might actually pull me back in. Um, but I don't know. It's it's interesting with Black Widow. And the reason I say that is because Black Widow was moved, what, that's uh, seven months that we we see a, a big jump from November to May. Um, so that's seven more months without a Marvel film. And it makes me wonder if there were some other things going on with, you know, maybe filming challenges with Eternals or filming challenges with, I don't know, where they just wanted to restructure the release schedule and, um, kind of everything played into like, hey, let's just push it back a little bit so that we don't start up with Marvel again and then have to you know wait another six months before another one comes out. Who knows? This is all conjecture and all um, you know some opinion here, but i'm I'm just ready for those big movies to come back to theater. So I'm ready to go again. I think it was interesting that when the uh, pandemic started and the quarantine started, there were a lot of movies that just said, yep, summer twenty twenty one. Like one that comes to mind is just like Fast and Furious Nine. They're like, you know, roll it back. Like we're going. And I thought that was kind of like a bold move at the time, but it's, now that seems like the smart move. And even then, they may have to push back a little further. But yeah, yeah, you're completely right there. Um, and that's the same with you know some of the I think it was Lionsgate films. Um, you know, uh, Spiral from the Book of Saul. Like that got pushed back a complete year right off the bat. Um, we've, there's some others that haven't even really uh, received release dates. Um, promising young woman. We still don't know what's going on with that. Uh, so some other things, some other films that we're still waiting to fall from limbo. 
See, promising young woman bothers me because th that's one that, like, you know, I, I want to see everything in theaters. I love I love watching every movie in theaters. But promising young woman, you know, get that on VOD. Like, I want to yeah. see that movie. I've been dying. Like, come on. <laughs> like, Should be interesting. Um, in terms of dying to see films, uh, we have Nicolas Cage here. Uh, Nicolas Cage is here to talk about an upcoming film of his. Oh, how you doing? Oh wow, that was bad. Why that does he bad. have an Australian accent? Bad. Number one, number two. I was going to do the Nicolas Cage, you bastard. Um, <laughs> but uh, non-Australian Nicolas Cage says, "Hey, how you doing?" Uh, that's not good either. Yeah, no. The, once you hear hey, it, it's bad. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Oh, I like that. That was not bad. That was a good um, solid one. Yeah, you got yeah, to so we'll stick with that. So I'm doing a movie where uh, it's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And you'll be able to see me interact with me. Uh, and it is what everyone has been asking for forever. Um, Tiffany Haddish will be joining as well. Um, and this just turned into like a very creepy like, let me talk to you about all you're of You're doing an ASMR right now. Like you're just doing <laughs> yeah, This is not Nicolas Cage. This is Guy at the Movies ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm Nicolas Cage and uh so Tiffany Haddish will be in this movie um, <laughs> so she's going to be in this movie and what we get from it is he is going to interact with a 1990s egotistical version of himself which I'm sure is not true to reality at all um, but he uh, somehow gets involved with the Mexican drug cartel uh, Pedro Pascal is in this Sharon Horgan is in this um, it is billed as an action dramedy. I love Tiffany Haddish. I think she's absolutely hilarious. So I'm pumped for this. I think it's great. And I think that, you know, this movie is obviously ridiculous and someone like her can maybe point out the ridiculousness of it. I don't, I don't even want to say she'd be a straight woman, but she'd be like, it, it would be something where, you know, she would just be like, like she could like envelop herself in the craziness and just sort of like embrace it wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm unokay with this bit. I'm more okay with my Scream <laughs> 5 bit. And so what was your Scream 5 bit? Well, when I said there's Scream 5 news, and then I screamed five times. <laughs> it wasn't Man, great. We're gonna, yeah, you know, um, comedy is not our, our, uh, our, our, our focal point here. It's not the strong suit. Um, <laughs> you may think otherwise. You may be laughing at us. Anyway, that's, I think that's a really interesting story, um, only because this film seems absolutely ridiculous. And Nick Cage is just, you know, I think all about the ridiculous right now. The films that he's been doing, um, thinking about Colorado Space and some others, they're just Mandy. kind of like, what's that? Mandy. Mandy, right. They're kind of like batshit crazy movies. And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> Good for him at this point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So before we wrap up, let's talk about some of the movies that are coming out this week. Uh, there is not a ton, um, but Enola Holmes came out on Netflix today, which I will probably be watching tonight. Um, and that is with uh, Millie, Bobby Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> oh, God. I need to go away. I cannot. I cannot control myself or actually name names today. Here's what's worse. I don't know her name right now. Millie. I know. I It throws you off, right? Um, oh, what is Millie Bobby Brown? <laughs> what is wrong with us today? Are we just deleting this episode? Like, Do we just <laughs> delete this one? No, this one keeps going. Oh, this God. Is, 
This is the one we submit for like podcast of the year. A Webby. We got to get a Webby for this one. Uh, Webby. Um, so we also have Henry Cavill in it, Helena Bo- Bonham Carter, um, who is always, you know, delightfully kooky. Um, and Sam Claflin, who is someone that I would like to see more of in films. Someone tweeted about this earlier and said, why didn't we not see him in more films? Uh, he, of course, was in the Hunger Games movies. He was in uh, You Before Me um, and some others here and there. I just really enjoy him as an actor. He's also one of my picks to play the new um, uh, Wolverine. So um, that's one of my thoughts. But will you be watching this? This one was something that, like, when I saw the trailer, I absolutely did not like it. And since then, you know, much like Connected, everyone said, this is going to be great. And so, you know, this sheep I am, I'm just like, you know, yeah, sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) As of yesterday, it was sitting at 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which really surprised me. Um, And I'm just trying to pull it up real quick to see if I can find it. Um, It's sitting at 91 right now. So that is incredible um and I'm, I'm pretty pumped to see it i'm also really excited to see millie bobby brown in a different role because i'm afraid that she's going to be or that she is being typecast for her stranger things role um but we'll see where that goes other films we have coming out uh ava is going to be in theaters and vod i believe uh ava is jessica chastain i believe mm-hmm. um and it's just not getting good reviews whatsoever <laughs> um but i'll still watch it Cajillionaire, which I talked about earlier, that's hitting theaters. Uh, Disney Plus is getting the Secret Society of Secondborn Royals uh, this Friday, which, you know, run to that. That should be fun. Uh, and then really interesting uh, and in recognition of the impact of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, who passed away last Friday, Focus Features and Magnolia Pictures are uh, teaming to release two of the films that were uh, about RBG, one being the RBG documentary, which is a phenomenal documentary if you've not seen it. Um, and on the basis of sex, um, which was starring Felicity Jones as her, they will be back in theaters this week. I did see that Regal is selling the tickets for $5. So it's part of their like classics, um, yeah. which I think is great. It's just really great to see the history, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, mm-hmm. because she was just like, just like Justice Scalia was when he passed away in 2016. Um, not my absolute favorite <laughs> by any means. Um, but a respected uh, justice as, you know, as he was. Um, so proceeds of the film's re-release are going to be donated to the American Civil Liberties Union uh, Women's Rights Project, which Justice Ginsburg uh, co-founded back in 1972. So definitely check those out. They are, um, RBG is a great film. On the Basis of Sex is a great story. It wasn't my favorite film, but um, has a really fantastic ending. The last minute of that film is like... Yeah. I put a clip up of, of it on guidethemovies.com because um, they sent it out and I was like, stop giving me the, the chills here. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just so good. It's so good. That ending. Um, so, yeah. So you usually uh, like finish this off with wear a damn mask. Um, and I will support that claim, but I think that we should, you know, for the next, for this time being, um, we should say wear your damn mask and vote. Yes. And that might be like, and just in honor of Ginsburg, just in honor of yourselves, in honor of this country, vote. Cause it always bothers me when like I find out like, you know, what, like a, a third of the country votes. And yeah, I get some of our kids and convicts, but like for the love of God, like please vote. Like if you don't like, you know, you don't like either candidate, 
figure out which one you identify with more and vote, please. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing that you just said. Obviously, we uh, have made it clear where we lean, but uh, we're not saying vote for one person over the other. We're just saying do the research and vote. Get out there and vote. Um, it's very important. And when more people vote, more people are heard. Uh, and so definitely go to IWillVote.com to uh, learn how you can get registered, to find out if you are registered, to find out where your polling place is, because that's all changed a lot. Um, if you're choosing mail-in ballots, uh, to figure out the dates that you need to have them uh, requested. I know that those dates are varying depending on where you are state by state. Um, but check if you're registered too. That's the one. Like I just checked uh, after watching all in, but like really, like just check if you're registered because you do not know. Like there's some weird. Sometimes there's like weird rules that you know. I, I'd say that some people are in control of, but maybe people aren't even control of. Like just like computers screw up. Like please check if you're yeah. registered. Yeah, definitely check, especially if you're like our age, right, and you've moved around because of college or because of jobs or whatever. Um, you may for, you may have forgotten that you were registered where you went to school or something like that, um, and you have to re-register. So um, just make sure you're doing that. The deadlines are coming up all over the place for registrations, um, and we're I think I think yesterday was six Tuesdays from uh, November 3rd from election day. So I listen. I'm at the point where I'm like ready to throw my head in the sand about a lot of it, mm -hmm. but. I also am very fired up and want to continue to we'll just keep saying you know, vote. That's what we'll do. Keep saying yeah. vote. Just keep vote. Just just keep vote. <laughs> once, once, once. Oh, once. Oh, just once. <laughs> just what? We're tagged already. We're gonna be on Breitbart. Just once. <laughs> vote once, unlike certain people in this country will tell you to do. Um, anyway, no upcoming events for me here. What do you have going on on your end? Well, I have my lovely Instagram page, Math Teacher Movies, where I go through, um, you know, reviews of new movies, reviews of old movies. I do a monologue Monday, a what the Oscars got wrong Wednesday, and a final shot Friday. Um, I'm officially out of movie reviews right now, so, you know, it might go dark for a little bit because, uh, you know, I've run out and I got to go watch a movie soon to be able to review it. But Enola Holmes, you need to watch that before next week. <laughs> I think I'll watch it tonight as well. <laughs> Um, how did you feel about the Emmys by, by chance? Uh, I know that you're big on the TV side of things too. And Schitt's Creek had a, uh, phenomenal evening. So Schitt's Creek, um, you know, just absolutely like swept the top categories in comedy, which I think like they said it was, has been done once and hasn't been done since. And that was a while ago and it's kind of unbelievable. Um, I look at each individual award they won and I say, well, they deserve each one. Now, would I have liked to see, like, you know, The Good Place get some or What We Do in the Shadows get some? Absolutely. Um, it's a little bit of a bummer that they didn't get some. However, Schitt's Creek deserves this. On the other side, the drama, best drama, Succession. Succession is the best TV show on television. Um, it is unbelievably good. Um, so I'm just so happy that did it. And Watchmen is Watchmen, and Watchmen's awesome. And that got limited series. So I was happy for the entire night, really. Yeah, you know, I think that um, Annie Murphy getting the award, uh, getting uh, Best Supporting Actress, really shocked me mm -hmm. um, in a good in a good way. I was really happy, and I was reading this article, and I um, I'll find it and send it to you. But it was talking about the journey of Alexis in the show from season one to season six because she is a bratty character, and that's yeah. how you're first introduced to her. But Annie Murphy played her and her development very well. Um, and I think season three of that show is really where things really start rolling 
Um, and I guess you start getting much more character development. Um, but God, kudos to them because it's just an incredible, incredible show. It really is, truly. Um, one other piece you just brought up, Watchmen, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, um, one for that show, uh, which is phenomenal. I still haven't watched Watchmen. I need to watch that. Um, I know. I'm behind on TV. I told you this. I'll um, be so happy when you do. I'll be so yeah, happy. I can't, I can't wait to because I really like him as an actor. And the transition here back to movies is that the trailer for the trial of the Chicago seven came out today and that will be debuting in October on Netflix. Um, I read some reviews of it that seemed to drop yesterday, I guess like the embargo lifted yesterday or something. Um, but it, it it's getting phenomenal reviews. Um, phenomenal. And they're like, it's obviously it's Sorkin all over it, which makes me happy because I love Aaron Sorkin films and you know, TV shows. Um, so I'm I'm just very pumped for it, and Yaya's in that, uh, and he looks incredible um, in terms of the performance that he's giving in the trailer. Um, p- plays a very key role in the film, so uh, it sounds like he's going to get award chatter there as well, which is just really awesome to see. It's going to be interesting, like how they're going to just do it. I think it's just going to be all like ten male awards are just going to go to um, Trial of Chicago Seven because it is just looking at it. Sasha Baron Cohen kind of gives you some chills right there, which you know it's just great to have like Sasha just doing something normal, um, and then you, you just see a brief hint of Jeremy Strong from Succession, just like you know with the stash. And I'm like, all right, so best supporting stash goes to him, and it's just like I'm so excited for it. And Michael Keaton, I actually didn't realize was in it, by the way. And I saw him in the trailer and was like, oh, my God, yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in it. Like, this is just a stacked cast. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance is in there. Yeah. And he's just, like, playing some sort of twerpy, like, lawyer. I love it. Like, it's just great. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's this is kind of a, a new thing for us to just be freestyling at the end. But it's bringing up a lot of different things here. Um, and one of the pieces uh, is that also in that film is Eddie Redmayne, who, of course, is in a – Academy Award winner, awesome actor, um, and uh, going to be reprising his role of Newt Scamander in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them 3, which has been confirmed to have started filming again. So we didn't throw that in earlier, but that's back in the works too um, with the uh, disastrous, um, self-destructive uh, J.K. Rowling looming large over it. Ah. <laughs> uh. But anyway, um, one thing I wanted to pitch to you here, and we'll do it while we're on the podcast because I think this could be fun. Um, but you know, we're we're gonna start talking about some movies that uh, we'll be w- hopefully w- having you watch that I've seen um, to get your reaction. We'll do some talking about that in the future. Um, but I'm thinking that we should start uh, recruiting or you know asking the audience for some suggestions uh, regarding some bad films to watch. Cause I think it could be fun for us to watch a really bad film. They're going to notoriously bad film, um, and talk about it. And, you know, there's two ways that we can go about this. Um, and we'll talk about this later as well. And maybe we can pitch it to people, but we can watch it on our own and then, you know, watch it or uh, talk about it here. Or we could, you know, do a live like this and record it as a podcast and watch the movie live together w- while we're on here. <laughs> And react to it live. Um, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. I would love to. Like you know, I think there's. I I think that when I see what is going to be known as a bad movie, uh, or this is how I actually approach movie reviews. Um, like when I know a movie is going to be pretty bad, like based on like what has been going on, and it's going to be an F. I try to see what I can do to get that movie to be a D. 
if I know a movie's going to be amazing, like it's going to be an A, I see what I can do to get that movie to be a B. So when we watch these bad movies, I will be doing what I can to find some good. Well, and one fun thing that we can do here is when we re- we get all of these, right? We request the the bad movies. I have a new toy that we can use. Oh boy. You have a wheel. Oh, this is wonderful. Okay, so everyone when everyone requests it, we can Okay, fantastic. We'll add it to the wheel and we'll go from there. Um have you seen Idiocracy by the way? Oh god, yes. I live okay. by Idiocracy. I think okay, we all good. Yeah, I think we all are living it. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, yeah, that was one movie I was going to suggest there. But anyway. Oh, excuse me, that's not a bad movie. I didn't say it was a bad movie. Okay, good. <laughs> Just the movie. But um, as we get into October here shortly, uh, we will be diving into a certain genre that you are not the biggest fan of. Um, but I will convert you by October 31st. We, we need to fix that. I, I, I am the biggest fan of. I just got to it late, so I don't know any of the classics. If by late you mean like two weeks ago. Two years ago. <laughs> Same thing at this point. Pretty much. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Hey, Sean. So Math Teacher Movies on Instagram. And uh, I will see you back here next week. We will likely be on Wednesday night, but uh, we'll be letting people know where we're going to be uh, so, so they can yeah. listen. Yeah, and please, guys, uh, if you are listening to this live, uh, listening to this on any podcast uh, platform, which may be Google, maybe Apple uh, uh, iTunes um, or Apple Podcasts, maybe Stitcher, maybe uh, Anchor, wherever it may be, please leave a rating. Five stars would be wonderful, but also leave comments because we love to interact with the comments and read them. Um, you know, sometimes we have episodes that are really tight and really uh, kind of overly produced in the sense that we know what we're touching on. And then we have episodes like tonight where it's kind of just freestyle because there's so much news uh, and we are having a loopy week. Um, and hey, we're in a pandemic. This is this is hashtag 2020. Right? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're still we're still rolling. Sean, I will talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. You too.